So we're going to be going, today we're going to be continuing, we started our introduction last week, uh, into the book of Joshua. I'm going to go get a tissue because I feel like I may need this. Um, but uh, today we're going to, uh, as we said, we had our introduction last week and then today we're jumping into Joshua. Last week what we did, just in introduction, is we really actually went to the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy what we did was we saw God's preparation of Joshua and Moses, okay? We saw there what God was doing is he making the transition of leadership from Moses over to Joshua, taking on that leadership role. This is an, an incredibly difficult task for both of them, okay? Both of them are doing something pretty, pretty monumental. Moses is coming to realization or coming to acceptance of the fact that he's not going into the promised land and also coming to the realization that he's giving up a duty which he's carried for now 40 years of responsibility. He's now handing it down. Joshua, on the other hand, from his perspective, has been an assistant for all this time. He's just simply been there to kind of, you know, here, here's your stuff. Here, here's your staff. Here, just kind of the backup guy. And now what's happening is God saying, hey, guess what, Joshua? Now you're going to take on this unbelievable role, not only as the leader of the army, which he's taken in different times, but now over the entire people. Now, if we imagine ourselves taking on responsibility like that, I mean, imagine you're at your work and you get transferred to leadership. You get, you're now the supervisor. There's some stress involved. There's some like, I hope I can do this. Can you imagine what Joshua's going through in this moment? Pretty, pretty daunting, I would imagine. And what happens here is what we find is God is constantly telling Moses to reinforce Joshua. Reassure him, reassure him, strengthen him. In Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8, we looked at last week, it says this, And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him, In the sight of all the children of Israel, be strong and of a good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not neither be dismayed. So we know by what he's telling us that that's probably what Joshua's feeling. He's feeling a little bit overwhelmed. So it's important that we notice here how he encourages him, how he does it. And what he does is he doesn't tell Joshua that he's very capable. Don't worry, Joshua, you're strong. Don't worry, Joshua, you've proven yourself. Don't worry, Joshua, you've got this, buddy. No, what he actually does is he reinforces God's strength and God's faithfulness, right? So what we see here is a dependence. He's saying, look, your strength, your capability is not what's going to get you the victory. Your, your, my capability, my strength is what's going to get you there. So in order for these, both these men to be successful, it took one thing. They had to fully rely on God, a full reliance on the Lord. And through the complete reliance, we see here God's loving hand. The process that he went through with each one was a little bit different. We saw with Joshua, God offered encouragement as he strengthened his faith. So we saw here that Joshua was encouraged and he was strengthened. While with Moses, we saw that he would bring comfort and he would bring assurance. So we saw a transition. And what was interesting was the fact that as Moses is pouring into Joshua, what's happening is God's always pointing to, as Moses is pointing to Joshua, God, God is pointing to Joshua and it's reassuring Moses. So Moses, while he's encouraging Joshua, Joshua is in fact encouraging Moses because he's going, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm ready to step up. And God looks at the, and it's that beautiful thing of the fact that he's already in preparation that gives Moses this great sense of comfort. So if that, as, as that is our foundation, as we move into Joshua, we understand kind of where Joshua's mindset is and where he is and the fact that he's prepared to take on this role. But there's some interesting, interesting facts about Joshua that we need to kind of establish before we get into this. First of all, the name Joshua, it translates as this, Jehovah is salvation. 
Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. And what we'll find in our study is that Joshua is an incredible picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? In fact, the name Joshua is the Hebrew rendering of the name Jesus. Okay? So if we have that understanding here, and just like Jesus is for us, we're going to see here that Joshua is going to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Now, the, the promised land is Canaan for them. And as they're going to enter into, the, into this uh, Canaanite land, what they're going to find is there's enemies waiting on them. Okay, so they have battles ahead. They're going to be ready to fight. So they're going to simply follow their leader. Now, what this is doing is it's picturing for you and I the enemies that we face on the road to our inheritance, to our promised land. Now, for us, our enemies show up as uh, the world, as the devil, and our flesh. Okay? The world, the devil, and our flesh. Now, with each one of these enemies, understand, they do not give up, and they do not fight fair. Okay? Any of us who've ever faced any one of those, the world, man, I'm telling you, the lure of the world, it's not fair. It doesn't get you when you're strong. It comes at you when you're weak, right? Our flesh doesn't get us when we're at moments of, of, of spiritual success. It's when we're broken that impacts and, and affects us. So what we see here is the fact that we're heading into a battle, and we need to understand that this enemy that we face is not going to fight fear, and it's not going to, to have any kind of mercy. So as we recognize the fact that we have enemies and we're going to battle, what does God do? He tells us how it is we're to be prepared for battle. We go to Ephesians chapter number 6 in preparation. This is how you and I are to be prepared. 6.10 says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Notice this, not strong in yourself. Be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might, not your might, you're not strong, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, one of the enemies. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, there's another, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, the word of God, having on the breastplate of righteousness, living a life that is holy, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, standing on the gospel truth. Above all, taking the shield of faith, man. Faith, the shield is that one that you can rise and lower, right? Wherefore, ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Notice he says all the fiery darts. Not some will get through. If you have, a good, if you have your shield of faith and you're holding it in the proper place, guess what, man? There's not one that will get through. They will all bounce off. And then he gets to verse number 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. And we're going to get later on in our message in Joshua, we're going to notice the fact that you'll notice there is no back in this armor. And there's a reason for that. And eventually we'll understand why. But it is a front because we face our enemies. So now that we understand we have enemies and we understand how it is we are to face them, it's important for us to have a clear understanding of what our promised land is. Where is it we're trying to get? Now, there are people that will tell you that promised land is heaven. But I want you to explain to you that's not right because the fact is you and I don't fight for heaven. We don't battle to gain our salvation, and we don't battle to maintain our salvation. It was established by God. Our salvation is by grace and grace alone. We receive it by faith, not through works. The abundant life is the Christian walk with God, an abundant life where God says, hey, you know what? Here's a place of peace. Here's a place of love. Here's a place where you walk in fellowship with me. We can attain it while we're on this earth. As soon as we're saved, man, in that moment, boy, we have an opportunity at that point in time to fully surrender to God. It is through godly surrender and holiness that we attain this 
Christian walk, right? So that's what we're shooting for. That's the end result. That's what it is we're trying to get to. That's the life God created us for. And that's the God want God, the life that God wants with us. Remember, we looked at the tabernacle. What was it all about? Reestablishing fellowship with humanity. That's the picture. That's the picture here. You and I are trying to reestablish this. So as we prepare, as we prepare to go to battle behind our general Joshua, we're going to do this in our message this morning, which is called Arise and Follow God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today, the gift you've given us. Lord, the way that you have walked with us through the scripture. Thank you, Lord, for the book of Exodus and what we learned there, what we learned in Deuteronomy and all the other lessons that you've taught us. And God, as we go to the end of the book of Joshua today, Lord, I pray that you'll be in the midst of this message, God. Direct every part of it. God, I know that I, I have prayed and written and worked over this week. And Lord, you have uh, certainly spoken to me, God. And I pray that uh, I not in any way interfere what it is you want to teach. Help me, Lord, to simply vanish, uh, God, that you might speak through me. And Lord, that the words that we hear today would not be from my mind, Lord, but from the very spirit of God that would direct all that we do. Thank you for this time. I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So we're going to be in Joshua, just verses one and two. I know you had expectation. We went over one and two last week, but (laughs) we didn't really dig into them this week. We're digging into them. And I know it took us uh, over a year and a half to get through Exodus. If we go this at this speed, we might be in Joshua for three or four years. We shall see. I don't know what the Lord has for us, but I just I had I thought it was a different. But this is what God wanted for us. So this is what we did. Um, Joshua one and two says this. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land, which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. So we see in verse one, what does God do? God sets the, the, the time frame of what's going on. And he also sets the context of what's to follow. In verse one, he said, now after the death of Moses. Okay, so he tells us the time frame. The servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses minister saying, okay, so here he sets the stage. He says, this is the time frame and this is what's getting ready to happen. Moses or Joshua's getting ready to hear from God. And why this is important is because up to this point, realize Joshua has not heard from God directly. The only time he would have heard God's voice is when God spoke from the mountain to all of Israel, right? And remember the the ground shook and the flames came down and all of Israel was scared to death. And they said, hey, I tell you what, uh, Moses, uh, why why don't you talk to God and just relay to us what he says? Because it freaked them out so bad. So Joshua, that's the only time he heard God's voice. So he has that expectation. So now God's going, look, I'm going to talk to you directly. And I want you to imagine back when you were in school the first day, right? Sitting in a big class. You've never been in school before. You're sitting in the room. You're nervous. You're excited. You're like, ah. And all of a sudden the teacher calls you by name. You're like, oh. Right? You're just like, whoa. You're like, oh, my goodness gracious. That would be an overwhelming moment, right? Imagine this. (laughs) So Joshua, for 40 years, has seen Moses interacting with God. He stood stood inside the tent and watched God deal with Moses. And he's just been like, whoa, whoa. And you see the mountain and whoa, oh, man. All of a sudden, God goes, Joshua. All right, and this is what he says. Moses, I imagine his voice is like, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them even to the children of Israel. That's probably a terrible version of God, but that's the best we got. (laughs) But what we think is many people call this verse the commissioning of Joshua. This is where he's calling him 
to his job. And what we'll find in this commissioning is there's four things that God was going to show us, that at least that he showed me this week that we're going to look at. So Joshua is about to assume uh, command of the armies and the entire Israelite population. Notice that it's not based upon his ambition. It's not based upon his desires or his lust for power. We see here that he already knows because God's told him that he's going to take on this role. So now at Moses' death, instead of him going, you know what, here's my moment. I'm going to step up. I'm going to become the leader. What you'll find is he's waiting because in the wording of this phrase, what does it say? It says, now, therefore, arise. Now, therefore, arise. What that tells us is that Joshua is not taking action. Joshua is waiting. So the first thing we learn is that Joshua is waits on God's timing. Joshua waits on God's timing. He doesn't allow his authority or his power or his new role to go to his head, not in any way, shape, or form. He's simply waiting on the Lord and saying, hey, look, Lord, you lead this. Lord, you tell me when to go forward. I'm not going to do anything until you tell me to do it. Can you imagine that? Wow. For some of us, totally just wait on God. How many of us sometimes want to jump the gun? Yeah, we're ready to we're ready to get rolling, man. I've got an agenda, God. I'm ready to get this thing taken care of. And God's saying, you know what? And what's beautiful is Moses, Joshua, look, all these people are waiting. Millions of people waiting. And Joshua's not going, okay, guys, don't worry. I got it. I'm the leader. No. Now, therefore, arise. He waits on the Lord. Now, this can be difficult, understanding it, but this speaks volumes to his character. This shows us who Joshua is at the core. Joshua's not a man that's going to take action on his own. He's going to simply wait on the Lord. So as we see here, God leads him through this commissioning. But there's another word that stands out in that short little three-word phrase. It says, now, therefore, arise. Arise. Now, in order to arise, you must be down. Does that make sense? So what we see here, he's got to be down. Now, in James 4.10, it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Okay? So if you're humble before the Lord, then he'll lift you up on his time. And we see that's exactly what's happening to Joshua. He's waiting on the God. He's waiting on God and he's humble before him. And this makes sense because guess who he learned from? From Moses. And Moses, guess what it says in Joshua 12 or in Numbers 12, 13. It's or 12, 3. It says this. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. He was very meek. Now, in our modern vernacular, we hear the word meek. And I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I was like in high school or something like that, if somebody had said someone was meek, I'm imagining some wiry little mousy guy over in the corner like, <laughs> like this, you know, some little weak guy. And everybody's like, hey, he's meek over there, right? That's the way we think. But that's not the biblical definition of what meek actually means. That's not it at all. I want you to listen to this. In Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29, Jesus is speaking. He says this, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now he's going to give descriptive terms of him. For I am meek and lowly in heart. Lowly in heart means humble. So he says, I am meek and ye shall find rest unto your souls. No, so we ask ourselves, now was Jesus weak? <laughs> he's the exact opposite, right? He is a picture of ultimate power. Yet he describes himself as meek. Because meek actually means great strength under control. Great strength under control. A wonderful example for that would be like a horse, right? You ever seen like those horses, like those big race horses? I mean, they can weigh thousands of pounds. I mean, goodness gracious, yeah. I mean, Liz gets to see them up close, you know? So what happens is 
you see these incredibly powerful racehorses. They can run like 30, 40 miles an hour. They can carry a person. They can carry gear. They can carry equipment. They can pull vehicles. They're massively strong, unbelievable power. If you and I were to go into a pulling match against a horse, he would launch us into the woods, right? Yet I've been on farms before where I've seen them take the reins off of a horse and put it in the hands of a five-year-old and watch that child lead that horse away. That is a picture of meekness, great power under control. Listen to what happens as Paul is speaking to, to church leaders. He's speaking to men and, and women and calling them to the ministry. He's saying, look, after he warns them about sin, listen to what he says to them in 1 Timothy 6.11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, sin, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. See, meekness and humility go hand in hand. And we see what Joshua has learned here. So Joshua must arise because he's humble and he's reverential before the Lord. And what happens here is he displays the spirit of meekness and humility as God commissions him to lead the Israelites. So second of all, we see here that Joshua responds in humility, he responds to God's call in humility. When the Lord was calling us to plant hope, guys, this was, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to do this, okay? And I struggle with the faith to do that because I had never pastored a church before. I'd always been that, the Joshua, I'd always been the helper. I was like, hey, here's your stuff. You know, get ready, get ready to preach. Go, go for it, knock it out, right? That was never my role. So what happened was for months, I struggled with that issue. And it wasn't that I doubted God. I doubted me. But what was awesome was God reminded me something when I was reading the word of God. And he said, all I ask of you is to be faithful. You be faithful and the fruitful will be up to me. Amen. The success of the ministry doesn't ride on us. It rides on God. This is his church. You're his people. You're not our people. We're just here to do our job. You're here to do your job. We work together as a body. And we understand the fact that God says, hey, look, you know what? All I want you to do is trust in me. The principal man, Matthew 6, 33. If you're around me for any period of time, you've heard me quote this verse a million times. And we read this verse and it flies right past us and we hear it. And we go, yeah, amen. But listen, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Listen to that. The kingdom of God. That's the spiritual kingdom. God's saying, look, seek the spiritual kingdom. Seek God's will. Live a life that honors God. Then he says after that, and his righteousness. So not only are you seeking the Lord and let, trying to, to, to attain that spiritual life with God, but your life, your walk is honest, it's truthful, it's godly, it, it shines to the world, a picture of righteousness. He says, I'm just only asking those two things of you. You don't have to take care of all the stuff you're worried about. What I need you to do is seek me and live righteously and all these things shall be added unto you. Not some of these things all of these things. So God says, look, why are you so stressed about the things of the world? All I'm asking you to do is put your focus on me. Live a righteous life and focus your heart on me. And guess what? All that stuff, all those details, they'll be fine. So we see here, God, calls us to res- God wants us to respond to his call. And man, I'm so thankful that we did. Praise the Lord. Because this place wouldn't be here. And I mean, well, it would be, but somebody else would have done it. God, somebody else would have called him. But as a side note, I want to I want to just cover one thing with you. If you're a married couple and God, you say, well, look, I'm waiting for God to call, you know, to call in our life, waiting for God to direct us. God does not call individuals in a marriage. He calls couples. 
God speaks to the couple. Because why? The Bible says that those two become one flesh. God's not the author of confusion, right? God is a God a mix of God of peace and a God of order. In Genesis 2.24, Matthew 19.5, Mark 10.8, and Ephesians 5.31, it says those two become one flesh, right? One flesh. That means they function as one. Think about this. Your body doesn't ever fight itself. You don't ever like wake up in the middle of the night because your arm and your leg are having an argument. What? Would you guys stop? Right? <laughs> it doesn't happen. They just work in unison, right? And so what happens here, it's the same thing. God's saying, look, you two become one flesh. So if I'm going to call one, guess what? I'm going to call the other. Because whenever we were, God was calling me to plant the church for months and months while I'm struggling with it and working with this, little did I know my wife is dealing with the exact same thing. She's dealing with the same issue. We're not talking about it because we were terrible communicators at that time. Praise the Lord. God's helped us to, to be better communicators. But what was so cool was the fact that whenever I finally said, hey, guess what? God's calling me to plant a church. And the first day she was like, what? 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 I'm not a pastor's wife. I, 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 and I was like, look, I'm just telling you, that's what God's doing. And she was like, but in her heart of hearts, she knew it. And when she went to the altar one night at church and she said, God, show me. And he said, I already have. Amen. You know. Praise the Lord. God. She was like, you're right, I do. Amen. God calls you together because he has a mission for you. Then we go continue in that verse. It says, go over this Jordan, thou and all his people. So Joshua, see here, God allows, he allows God to direct his path. Joshua has no agenda. <laughs> his agenda is God's agenda. God will set his path. He will go where God, wherever God tells him to go. So not only has he waited on God and responded to God's call, but now he allows God to direct his steps. Does anybody else struggle with that one besides me? Allowing God to direct our steps? That one can be tough. That one can be tough. Waiting's tough. Oh, they're all hard. Don't get me wrong. But this one can be unusually tough because we're waiting on God to direct our path. We may have a great idea of what we think our life should look like, where my career should go, where my family should go, what should take place in my life. The problem is, do we stop and consult the Lord and pray? God, you direct me. Lord, you take the next step in my life. Let it not be just based upon my ambition, but me trusting that you Show me what way I should go. Because you know what? God's way is not always the way we want to go. But his way is always best. Because it's here. What happens? Many times we don't call God out. We don't wait on God to direct our path. We bring our agenda to God. And we say, you know what, God? <laughs> I got the map out. <laughs> Just to, you don't need to worry about it because I already directed it out. I laid the whole thing out. I got it out and I map quested it out. So I know where I'm supposed to go, God. So if you would just, you know, give me the rubber stamp on that. Would you, is that you give me that? Sign off on that one? Can we go this way? That's the way we do it, isn't it? How many of us, we look, this is what I want. God, will you sign off on it? Yeah. But that's not the way we're supposed to function. What does Moses, what does Joshua show us? He waits on God. And he says, Lord, you direct my path. That's important in our secular lives. But boy, let me tell you, in your spiritual life, it is incredibly important. Church membership, right? We have people come to the church and go, man, I love it here. I love the people, da, 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 da. Great. But if God doesn't bring you here, don't come. Right, the, pet, the, the, the church is so. This is this is an important part. You become a part of a body. You carry the load for the church. You share the will and the and the desires of God to be accomplished in this place. And if you're not where you're supposed to be, then guess what? You won't function properly. So it's like I'm not trying to tell people not to join the church, but praise the Lord. You know, but I mean, if God's got a better place for you, some place that there's a hole that you're supposed to fill, that's where you're supposed to be. If we accept you here and I don't give you that kind of counsel, then I'm not doing the right. I'm not doing the job that I'm supposed to do. Because in the end, it's not a matter of how many people sit in the seats. 
It's if we do it God's way. And that's what we have to answer for. We do things God's way. That's true if you're going to teach a class, if you're going to be a deacon of the church, if you're going to be a discipler. You don't do it because you go, I think that'd be fun. No, if God lays it on your heart and you go, you know what? I know that's something I need to do. Then you volunteer for it. You say, look, you know what? I'm ready. God's calling me. I'm answering the call. If it's to be a preacher or a pastor or a missionary, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard over the years of pastors and missionaries saying, look, you know what? My wife and I, God was dealing with us separately. And you know what he did? He brought us together and said, you know what? You're going here. And they're just like, wow. So there's not this contention. There's not this fighting because guess what? A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. God needs them to be in unison, working together of a single mind. We must follow the Lord's leading as he guides us in our Christian walk. So the first lesson we learned from Joshua is to wait on the Lord. Second, we learn is to humbly respond to God's call. Third, Joshua allows God to guide his path. And then Joshua's commissioning ends with this. He says, and unto the land which I do give to them, even the children of Israel. Joshua receives God's promises by faith. He receives God's promises by faith. And we know that he already believes because, remember, back in Numbers 14, when they were at the border and they sent the 12 spies in, 10 came back and said, we'll never make it. Two guys stood up and said, we can do this. One is Joshua and one's Caleb. And this is what they said in Numbers 14, verses 6 through 9. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it, it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. He said, look, dude, they're a snack, dude. This ain't nothing to be afraid of. He says, listen to what he says about him. Their defense has departed from them. These guys are freaking, they're, they're, they're trembling. They're falling apart. He's telling them way back then, look, we got nothing to be afraid of. He says, because their defense, he says, and their defense has departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Dude, he was ready to cross the border 40 years ago. He's like cheering and ready to go. Come on, let's take it now. So if he's a man of faith then. Guess what? He's a man of faith now. 40 years earlier, he was ready. And what we find here is the fact that God's not telling him this to inform him of his promise. All he is is inspiring him further for the battle ahead. Remember, Joshua, remember, this has already been won. It's already done, buddy. All I need you to do is to be faithful. The fruitfulness is up to me. And guess what? I've already won this battle. Joshua is called to take action. He understands that he's got to be faithfully trusting the Lord. And isn't that what God's telling us? Isn't there time and time again where God talks about the fact that we're more than conquerors? God tells us all the time that we're already victorious. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 57 says this, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Now, contextually, this is talking about a second coming. This is referencing those, our, our, our glorified bodies. It's talking about our future. But understand, when he references in here, he says, Death is swallowed up in victory. He says, As it is written. He's referencing Scripture. Right? When Paul writes that, he's talking about Isaiah 25. 25, 8, God says this, referencing that second coming. He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all their faces, and the rebuke of his people shall be taken away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. He continues in 1 Corinthians 15. O death, where is thy sting? 
O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. And we're going to circle back to that in a minute because that's that's an important point. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 56, we see a reference there to the law. Okay, And there's an interesting point to be made here in regards to that law. Remember that the law is associated with Moses, right? Okay, 22 different times in the Bible, it calls it, actually calls the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses. That's what it's called, okay? So the law of Moses, and we understand, and we, we think and we go, well, now, why was it that Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land? What was the reasoning? Now, we studied last week. We know it was because of the rock, right? The issue with the rock, his failure at the rock. Now, we know that's the practical reason of what God gave him. But there's also a prophetic, there's a doctrinal reason that God wants us to see as well. And this is really pretty cool as God, he's always teaching on different levels. Now, he won't enter, you and I will not enter into the promised land in this Christian life because we are living by the law, okay? Galatians 3, verses 11 through 14 says this, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the the, the just shall live by faith, not the law, but by faith. And the law is not of faith, okay? We don't trust, trust the law for salvation. We trust God for salvation. We don't trust the law to reach the abundant life. We trust Christ. The man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham, listen to this, the promise, might come on the Gentiles, you and I, through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We go into the promised land, not by keeping the law. We get to the promised land by following Christ by faith. Moses could not bring them in because guess what? He is a picture of the law. And we won't enter the abundant life because we follow the law, but because we follow the Lord. And remember what I told you about Joshua, right? He's leading them in. And how do we get into the promised land? By following Jesus. So we see while Jesus is a God of grace, no doubt about it. Guess what, God? He's also a God of justice, okay? And there's an interesting tie-in here to Joshua because Joshua was a warrior. He led the armies. He was a man of the sword. So God, the Lord, wields a sword when he goes to battle. Revelations 1.16 says this, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Speaking of the Lord. And through cross-references, we know that this is not a physical sword. This is a spiritual. These are the words of God. Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12 says this. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than, it, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing of asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Remember how the word of God was described in Ephesians 6, right? What did it call it? It said it's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, why does God use a two-edged sword as an example? Because at this time, that was the most devastating weapon of war that existed. It's talking about the power and the devastating strength that God has. So God goes to battle for us. He fights for us. But guess what? Joshua's going to battle as well. So as they're getting ready to enter into their promised land, they're going to be led by Joshua, this man of the sword. Again, a picture of the Lord. But in order to possess it, now they have to face their enemies. Okay? Their enemies are in place. Who, by the way, are God's enemies, same way ours are God's enemies as well. But you see, they won't defeat them through their strength. It won't be by the sword. 
It'll be by faith. It's their dependence upon God. And see, that is for us as well. Remember, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some of the battles we'll face, they're going to seem impossible. There are going to be some that will be so overwhelming, we won't know what to do. But you see, God, he focuses and specializes on doing the impossible. It brings glory to his name. And we've seen the Israelites receive incredible. I mean, God's done the most amazing, incredible things for them. And some of us could probably share stories of what God's done for us that would have seemed impossible. Yet today we stand on the other side of it going, you know what? Look what God has done. Years ago, if you could have looked into my wife and and my marriage and you could have seen all the details that was going on, you would have said, you know what? There's no hope. This is done. And yet today, better than it's ever been, more godly than it's ever been. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Miracles of the Lord. Miracles of the Lord. As Paul suffered. Remember, Paul was suffering a horrible malady. And as he's suffering, he's crying out to God. He's like, Clyde, would you please, would you please heal me? Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 and 10. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Lord, would you just please heal me? And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Mostly glad, therefore, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. I'll be thankful for what I'm suffering, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He's realizing in this moment, he said, look, by being weak, I'm actually getting more of God. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong, he says. It doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. But God says, hey, don't understand. That's the way God works. It's not my strength that will get me through. It's my weakness that will get me through. And he realizes that he's never going to conquer his infirmities, his, his enemies in this life through becoming stronger. It was only through becoming weaker and more dependent that God would strengthen him. Remember, our enemies appears three things, the devil, the world, and our flesh. And God tells us through Jesus' half-brother James, he tells us how to face them. This is cool. James 4, verses 7 through 10. Here you go. We're going to battle. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now understand that. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit means we surrender. We're reverent before the Lord. We're a picture of Joshua in that moment. We're on our knees before the Lord, trusting him, saying, God, you know what? It's not about me. This is all about you, Lord. Take my life and use it for your glory. Simply resist the devil. I don't need to fight him even. I just need to resist him. And he says, he will flee from you, run in fear from you. This devastating force that destroys millions and millions of people every day. Guess what? You can have a conquering victory over him. And all you've got to do is resist because you submitted to God. So there's one. Then God addresses the others in verses 8 and down. Verse 8, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Get out of the mess. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. James 1.8 teaches us, that double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. He cannot survive in this world. You can't be a friend with the world and a friend with God. You're an enemy of God if you're a friend of the world. So what we find here is he's saying, look, you know what? Get out of this stuff. Get yourself, get your hands and your heart out of this world that feeds your flesh. 
Get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. Whatever way or shape or form it's got a hold on you, get out. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Then look what he says after that. Verse 9. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. You know what he's saying there? Repent. 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 Turn away from evil. Repent. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. See your sin the way God does. And what you used to think was funny, it ain't funny no more. What used to bring you joy brings you sadness now. What things in the flesh that we used to do to fulfill ourselves, today we think of doing them and it breaks our heart. The things we have said, the people we have done things to, the actions that we've followed through in our lives, we look back on it now and we go, wow, how could I have ever done that? A change of heart. Repentance. Submit and surrender to God's authority over our lives. And then verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. And what did he say to Joshua? Arise. Arise. He shall lift you up. So as Joshua prepares to lead the people into battle against these enemies, right? He's shown us four important principles. Look at this. Wait on God's timing. Humbly respond to God's call. Allow God to establish our path and claim the promises of God. Now, listen, each of us, we're all facing battles of some sort. Some much more daunting than others. Some of us are, are struggling with things, perhaps on an emotional level, right? Maybe somebody's dealing with depression. Man, that talk about devastating. Talk about dark. Talk about hard. Maybe somebody's dealing with bitterness or loss. I have some friends of ours that are, they've got a service today saying goodbye to their father and they're brokenhearted. They're dealing with this, this sadness. Maybe somebody's dealing with physical. Maybe your battles against illness. Maybe like Pastor Mark, dealing with cancer or granny in the hospital. Your body's just simply not doing what you want it to. You're dealing with old age, whatever it may be, addiction even, whatever physical thing you're battling. It's a battle. And some may be relational. In our marriages, between our children, in our family as a whole, our neighbors, who knows who. Some can be financial. We've lost our job. Our finances, we find ourselves in massive debt. And what happens is in each of these situations and scenarios, it's easy to become fearful. In whatever fashion or form our battle is and whatever our enemy shows up in our life, the solution, luckily, is always the same solution. It isn't like you have to find a custom solution for each one of the issues. They're always the same thing, Amen. right? Amen. Do you remember the fact that when the Israelites, when they stood at the border of the Red Sea and the army was behind them and they were in a Pahahirath and they had nowhere to go and they were at a place of no return, there's no escape, what did God do? Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today... You shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you. Listen to that. The Lord shall fight for you. And then he says, ye shall hold your peace. Just wait on God. Let him fight for you. Uh, Jehoshaphat, a king of, of, of Jerusalem. He found himself in a situation where they were absolutely surrounded. No escape. They're as good as dead. Anybody from the outside would have said, you know what? Impossible. Write them off. They're done. And then what did God say? 
2 Chronicles 20, 15, he said, a man of God, and this is what the man of God said on behalf of the Lord. He said, and he said, hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's, right? We want to take the responsibility like it's ours to fight, but God says, hey, look, I'm the one that's going to fight. I'm the one that's going to fight. Trust in me. We need not be overwhelmed by our fears. We need not be overwhelmed by our circumstances. The whole thing is, we see our Jesus, our Joshua, right? He's already seen the victory. (laughs) He's already won it. It isn't like he doesn't know what's coming. It isn't like this is a surprise to him. It doesn't look like he doesn't already see the end result. You and I are in the battle to change our hearts, to help us to mature in the Lord, to increase our faith. It's not for God's sake. It's for our sake. The problem is we're always so independent. We want to do things on our own. And God says, no, no, you will not survive if you do it on your own. But with me, you can have an unbelievable victory. Guys, if we're defeated in the battles in our life, it is not because the power to have a victory was not available to us. It will simply be because we did not follow the Lord and we did not we did not choose to accept his strength. The power's not in us. The sooner we come to the realization of that and let go, the sooner we'll listen to this. It takes responsibility off of our shoulders. When we planted the church and it was just Christine and I, and we're working on the building and doing all this stuff, and Eric and Kim weren't even in at that point in time. We didn't really have anybody. And we're like, well, you know what? God's, he's telling us to do it. We're just going to do it. We're in here working in the middle of 3 o'clock in the morning, pounding out tile and scraping walls and smashing my hands all to pieces and learning how to do all kinds of fixing stuff that I didn't know how to do. As we're in here doing all that stuff, there's nobody lined up. Nobody's like, man, we'll be there. We're just like, well, I hope they show up. <laughs> and you know what? God's done. You know, we have a pandemic right now, but, you know, man, I mean, I can't wait to get back to the days when this place is full of people, man, packed out full of people. Amen. Celebrating the Lord. And I know you're online and I love you guys. But listen, I can't wait to get back to those days. Amen. Not for my sake, because I just want God to get the glory. And I want people to be enthused to serve the Lord and do things God's way. And understand that, guess what? Battles are always going to come. There's always going to be an enemy that's out there. And he's not going to give up. And he's never going to have mercy on us. And we're always going to be able to have opportunities to go into battles. Every day when you wake up, you're going to enter a battlefield. The question is, will you follow the Lord? Will you follow yourself? Joshua's shown us. He's given us examples. First, wait on God's timing. Second, humbly respond to God's call. Third, allow God to establish our path. Fourth, claim the promises of God. You see, he's pointing us to the promised land. He's like, it's this way. It's this way, guys. It's this way. The question is this, right? As he's calling us to battle, will we respond by allowing our fears and our doubts, maybe in ourselves, to hold us back and end up in the wilderness? Because there's lots of people that were overthrown in the wilderness. Of 603,550 men, two made it in because they had faith. We will either allow ourselves to be stuck in the wilderness or when God calls, we'll arise and follow God. It comes down to this. 
choices. We can do it by Josh. Follow, follow the Lord. Do it the way Joshua did. We can do it our way. Suffer. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. God, for the message you've given us. Uh, Lord, we can clearly see the path we were to take. We can clearly see the preparation that you've made. We can clearly see, God, your power in this world. And Lord, in whatever adversity it may be, whatever form it may appear, whatever battle me may enter, Lord, we can enter it with confidence because we're following the Lord. God, you have a purpose and a plan for this life. And Lord, as right now, even as Mark is in the hospital, as we speak, God, we know that you have a purpose and a plan for even this. Lord, thank you for the influence that you've used in our own lives. God, through the way the word of God has spoken to us individually, Lord, the way that you've used us in the lives of other people. Lord, I pray that you'll help us, Lord, not only to be encouraged today, Lord, to be inspired today, but Lord, help us, my Father, have a greater confidence in you than we ever have before. This world is filled with battles. We can fight every day. But God, guess what? In the midst of all of this mess and all the stuff that's going on in the world, we can still experience the abundant life of Christ through faith in him. God, we thank you so much for the work you're doing in our hearts and lives. And thank you for the word of God, for the beautiful message you've given us today. I pray that you help us to arise and follow you. With our heads bowed and eyes still closed. If you're here today, you're online, you're watching this recorded wherever you are. Understand, if you say, you know what, I I don't even know where I stand with God. Listen, 19 years ago, I did not have a relationship with God at all. I had never been in church my entire life, never sat in a service, never opened a Bible in my entire life. Yet someone cared enough to share with me the truth of who Christ was, more importantly, who I was. And I realized when they share with me what it meant to be a sinner, the Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. What does sin do? Sin separates us from God, from God's holiness. And it says the wages of sin is death. But then it goes on and says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The gift. And God offers the gift. When Jesus was on the cross, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God offers the gift to the world from the cross. And it comes down to this. All we have to do is receive it. Not by works, not by ceremony, but by faith. Trusting in the Lord. If he's calling your heart today and you're watching this and you say, you know what? I don't know where I stand. Let me tell you this. God loves you right where you are. He has a victory prepared for you if you'll choose to follow him. As he calls your heart, all he's doing is asking you to respond. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be saved, not could be saved. A promise from God. And as he calls you, all he needs you to do is respond by faith. Like I said, it's not a ceremony. It's not a magic prayer. It's a matter of the heart. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. As he speaks to your heart and as he draws you, all you need to do is respond. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. Even if you're watching this recorded 10 years from now, guess what? He's still waiting on you. You can pray this prayer with me. And if you pray it by faith and you'll trust the Lord, he'll save your soul today and change your eternity. So with our heads bowed and eyes, eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you pray this prayer in your heart and mind and receive Christ. Repeat after me, dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for all that I've done wrong. I understand there's a penalty for my sin, but that you love me in spite of me, that you went to the cross and you died in my place. 
paid at a price that I could not pay. I am asking you right now, by faith, not to forgive me of my sin, to save my soul, to be given the home of Lord, thank you for saving me. prayed that prayer today and you meant business with God praise the Lord you went from being a child of rebellion to a child of the king something you can never lose reach out to us let us know that you made that decision and we're going to take just a moment we're going to pray I'm going to pray us out and then brother Eric's going to come and we'll have just a moment and then we'll be done with service Lord thank you so much for blessing us today for giving us this opportunity to be in your house I pray God that you'll bless now guide and direct us as we go into this life help us Lord to walk in the midst of this perverse world filled with destruction, and God help us to be a light of righteousness that the world might see you in us.